Well, good morning, class. I hope you've had a good weekend, and I hope everyone's ready to learn this morning. But before we get started, and before I take the role, I'd like you to be introduced to my name. My name is... We will not be having that in class today. Mr. Bunch. Well, you know, I was thinking about it, and I cannot remember a time that I ever got to write on a chalkboard uh, in school except in the fifth grade. Mrs. Jackson made me write on a chalkboard a hundred times, I will not talk in class. True story, had to uh, do that. And then she uh, went ahead and threatened that she was going to call my parents, and she never did. So that was a gift. Um, So we're grateful for that. Uh, I can remember in uh, first grade, Debbie Malott sat right in front of me. She had French braided hair. She was blonde, and she was beautiful. And I used to think of Debbie Malott, and I thought, oh... She's so amazing. And so the way I tried to, you know, kind of get her attention was on the playground. I would pull those two French braids and it didn't work. Um, So I remember Mr. Ott's class in fourth grade. Um, I think he was like on the early stages of dementia before dementia ever hit. He never really went to the back of the class where I sat. And so me and my a couple of my buddies Uh, One time we snuck out the window, went outside and played on the playground and came back and he never knew we were gone. Uh, True story. I I went to a great school, elementary school. Uh, I can remember uh, in high school taking chemistry class and uh, I had a teacher by the name of Mr. Wright. And Mr. Wright talked like this. He said, my name is Mr. Wright, and I'm a part of the chemistry class, and I will teach you now. Now, he had a chalkboard. I don't know if you remember this. In chemistry class, he had like a sliding uh, chalkboard. There were like three of them, and you'd slide one, and then there'd be the next equation. He'd slide the next one, and then there'd be another equation. So me and a couple of my buddies decided to put a centerfold on the last one. And he, so he's teaching the class, and he's like, uh, well, class, and now he, you know, he slides it, and class, now we'll slide the other one. And then he got to the last one, he goes, well, and I'll never forget this, he goes, well, that is quite an equation. <laughs> he pulled it off, folded it up, and put it back in a drawer. Like, I, I was like, you know, I thought the teacher was supposed to throw it in the trash can, but... You know, Mr. Wright was holding for something later, maybe. I don't know. Um, But, I mean, I can just remember, you know, all kinds of memories uh, from school. Uh, I also remember a a kid by the name of Mike. And uh, we picked on him all the time. He was on our uh, cross-country team. And uh, he came from a broken family, very poor family. And... uh, I remember we used to laugh about how he smelled, and um, I jumped in 
right on that fun. I also remember people having nicknames for me. Uh, when I was in elementary school, they called me Brady Bunch because there was a show, you know, the Brady Bunch, and so I became Brady Bunch. And uh, my next door neighbor, her name was Tiffany Walls. And the reason I'm using her last name is because if you ever meet her, I really want you to take care of her for me. But anyways, her name is Tiffany Walls, and this is what she did. We were driving uh, on the school bus, coming home, and I had a brand new hat. And she took uh, the hat off my head and threw it out the window. And she said, go get it, Brady Bunch. I hate Tiffany Walls to this day. I can also remember a nickname they used to call me. Uh, In high school, they called me Bones. Uh, When I graduated from high school, I weighed 145 pounds. And so they would say, dude, you are just Bones. No muscle. Some things haven't changed. You know what I mean? Uh, Just hasn't. Well, what about you? What did they call you uh, back in school days? Did you have any nicknames? Any that you remember? Maybe there are a few that you wished you would have forgot. I mean, do any of those things ever still mess with you every once in a while? You see an old schoolmate and they say something and they shout something out and you're an adult now, but it still just kind of hurts. It stings a little bit. You ever still hear any of those voices uh, from school? Well, you know, I've been praying over the last few weeks that each and every one of you would hear one voice and one voice only. And that is the voice of God. God's voice that you might hear right today that says, you are not defined by what other people say about you. Your identity is in knowing the God of unfailing love who accepts you just the way you are. And you can, and you should, if you haven't, start today with a new identity. Start with a brand new day with a new identity in your life. Now, maybe some of you are sitting there today, and it's not so much what someone did to you, but what you have done to someone else, or things that you have done in your life. I don't know, maybe for some of you it's a DUI. Maybe it's an affair. Maybe it's a failed marriage. Maybe it's a bankruptcy. Maybe you flunked out of school. Maybe you got kicked out of your house. Maybe you got fired from your job. Maybe it's an abortion that you had that still haunts you. Maybe it's a sexual encounter that you had multiple times with multiple people and you still have some regrets. Maybe for some of you, everyone knows from your past that you're nothing but a gossip and a liar. Maybe for some of you, your title is felon. Every time that you do a uh, job application, it hits you right in the face. Maybe you have to introduce yourself for years and years as my name is so-and-so and and I'm an alcoholic. 
Or maybe it's gambling. Or maybe it's drugs. Or maybe it's pornography. Whatever it is, for some reason, you have decided that it will define you. And it has become the definition of who you are. Even though it may have happened years and years ago. We've been talking this entire series about how there are things that can steal your identity. If you remember in week one, we talked about being robbed by relationships. That imperfect relationships can steal our identity. In week two, we talked about being mugged by the mirror. That sometimes we look at ourselves in the mirror and we don't see ourselves the way God sees us. And there's this distorted image that we have of ourselves. Last week, we talked about being uh, stolen by success. Trying to live our whole life through a success lens and we get distorted. And this week, as we talk about the past, folks, I can't think of anything that can distort your life more than the past. It can hack at your soul and steal your identity away. Now, the emotion that often surfaces the most when we come to this whole idea of our past is a five-letter word. It's probably the dirtiest word uh, in the English language for us. And the word is guilt. And guilt can be defined this way. And if you want, uh, it'll come up on the side screens. This is your first fill-in. Guilt is a feeling of deep regret from a misdeed. A feeling of deep regret from a misdeed. Now, guilt can be a very strange emotion, can't it? We all experience it, whether we admit it or not, but it it can be weird. It can be difficult for us to deal with. In fact, guilt actually is something very hard for us to explain. It's more of this feeling that comes. Uh, Some little kids were asking uh, classroom, can you please uh, share with us, when you hear the term guilty conscience, uh, what comes to your mind? Give us a definition. And so a six-year-old little girl put it this way. A guilty conscience is a pot inside of us that burns if you're not good. A seven-year-old boy said, a guilty conscience is feeling bad when you kick girls or little dogs. Okay? Boys always look at it a little bit different on guilt. In other words, folks, guilt is that thing inside of you that you know, you know what, I just crossed the line. I crossed the line. Guilt is that thing inside of us that says, you know what, that thing that I did this afternoon, it wasn't quite right. Now, there are two sides uh, to guilt. It's like a coin, uh, two sides to it. There's a good side and a bad side. The good side of guilt says this. That healthy guilt can lead to better decisions. That guilt actually can be a healthy thing in our lives that can lead us to make better decisions. I mean, it can help us to become more honest. Guilt can lead us to confession. Guilt can lead us to asking for forgiveness. Guilt can lead us to make better decisions so we don't make that decision the next time around. 
But the problem is, is that guilt has another side, too, of the coin. And the other side of the coin that's not healthy is this, that unresolved guilt can lead to personal destruction. Unresolved guilt can lead to personal destruction. This is the kind of guilt that we suppress, that we stuff down, that we try to hide. And it can be a very, very dangerous thing. King David was uh, a guy in the Old Testament, the first half of the Bible, and uh, he was the most famous king of the entire Old Testament. Uh, His title was actually a man after God's own heart. He's the only person in the entire Bible who's given uh, that title. But even he dealt with a time in his life that he had some suppressed, unresolved guilt. This is a story. King David is a king, and uh, the scripture says that all the other uh, guys went out for war, but he stayed back home. And one particular day, he's out on his balcony while everyone, all the other men are gone in the city. And he looks over, and he sees this little hottie that's in her bathtub. And he decides, whoa. I've got to have this. And so he gets uh, some of his uh, servants to go and get this woman, brings brings her to the temple, and he has an affair with her. She gets pregnant, and then he decides that the way to get out of it is, I'll cover it up by having her husband murdered. And so he has that done. And then he tries to cover everything else up. But finally, the guilt just started eating him alive. And he finally came and he said, God, I just got to be honest. And this is what he shared. Psalm 51. He says this. I know how bad I've been, God. My sins are staring me down. You ever been there before? Sin just like staring you down. You're the one I violated and you've seen it all. Seen the full extent of my evil. You have all the facts before you. Whatever you decide about me is fair. I've been out of step with you for a long time. In the wrong since I was born. What you're after is truth from the inside out. Enter me, then conceive a new, true life. Now, there's only a little bit of a problem, a dilemma with this issue of guilt. And the problem is, is that guilt can be a dilemma in which we try to hide sin. And the dilemma is this. Secret sin, folks, cannot coexist with inner peace. Secret sin cannot coexist with inner peace. I mean, I don't know if it's been your experience, but it's been my experience that whenever I try to hide something, whenever I try to cover something up, there's just no peace in me. I don't have any sense of peace. In fact, this week I looked at some uh, studies across uh, the board dealing with this whole issue of guilt. And 
what I found is that 80% of us use our energy to keep stuff in. Think about that. 80% of your energy is to keep stuff in. I mean, we've been taught, don't cry out loud, just keep it inside. Learn how to hide your feelings. That's the stupidest song. No, don't, don't encourage that, okay? Don't encourage that. That is the stupidest song I've ever heard in my life. It's dumb. Don't cry out loud. Just keep it inside. Learn how to hide your feelings. Woo! Who wants to live like that? Dumb. Look at what it says in Proverbs chapter 28. Let's read this out loud together. It'll come up on the side screen. Let's read it out loud. People who cover over their sins will not prosper. But if they confess and forsake them, they will receive mercy. Mercy you get. David again writes these words. Oh, what joy for those whose rebellion is forgiven, whose sin is put out of sight. Yes, what joy for those whose record the Lord has cleared of sin whose lives are lived in complete honesty. When I refused to confess my sin, I was weak and miserable, and I groaned all day long. Day and night, your hand of discipline was heavy on me. My strength evaporated like water in the summer heat. In other words, he's saying, every time I tried to hide my sin, I actually got physically sick. It affected My health. But, he said, finally, I confessed all my sins to you and stopped trying to hide them. I said to myself, I will confess my rebellion to the Lord and you forgave me. All my guilt is, what's it say? All your guilt. It's like when you confess the sin, God likes, he takes the eraser of life and he just like wipes it out. Somebody get me some water. I got water. He just like wipes it out because this is what he does. He says, all my guilt, all my guilt, everything is gone. God says, I can fix it. You simply have to confess. But many of us don't choose to do this. We choose to pull ourselves up by our bootstraps and we're going to be able to do what we're going to do. Do it on our own. And so then we get this unresolved guilt and we try to stuff it down and we suppress it. And it morphs, if you're not careful, into the evil, sinister cousin to guilt, and that is shame. And shame takes guilt to a whole nother level. I love what Lewis Meads writes. It'll come up on the side screen. The difference between guilt and shame is very clear in theory. 
We feel guilty for what we do. We feel shame for what we are. A person feels guilty because he did something wrong. A person feels shame because he is something wrong. You see how shame, folks, can just like really mess up your life? In fact, uh, Satan has a toolbox and the, the number one tool that he uses is shame. He's called the father of all lies. He's an accuser. And have you ever kind of heard some of his whispers before? You're a loser. You're ugly. You're stupid. You're a drunk. You're an addict. You're a pervert. You're slow. You're unlovable. You're alone and you'll always be lonely. You're a nobody. Just face it. That's who you are. And folks, shame can be a very, very dangerous enemy. But did you know that shame also has an enemy? Shame has an enemy, and it's called grace. Shame says, I'm defective. Grace says, I'm valuable. Shame says, I'm flawed and I'm unacceptable. Grace says, even though I'm flawed, God says, I'm priceless. Shame says, the opinions of other people is what really matters. Grace says, the opinion of God is the only thing that matters. Shame says, I must be perfect to be able to earn the acceptance of people. Grace claims that I will be accepted even in my imperfections. Shame makes you hide. Grace sets you free. Shame is the language of the thief, of Satan himself. Grace is the language of Jesus Christ, the Savior of the world. So you take your guilt and you take your shame and you take your flub-ups and your mess-ups and your screw-ups and you get honest with God and you simply allow His unfailing grace to rain down upon you, to wipe away whatever guilt. So how do you do that? How do you overcome past sin, past guilt, things from your past? Well, there's two steps. We alluded to the first one. The first one is this. Come clean to God. You just come clean to Him. Now, the way I do this is almost every day, I spend a few moments uh, reflecting back on a particular passage of Scripture that's right below it here in 1 John 1.9. And I'll just remind myself of it. And so let's uh, remind ourselves. Let's read it out loud together. But if we confess our sins to Him, He is faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us from every wrong. If we confess our sins and we get honest with God and we say, God, this is what's in my heart right now. He says, I know. But tomorrow... We'll get better. 
Or if it happened this, this morning, like some of you, like getting here to church today. Like maybe you came with someone that didn't really want to come, or you were fighting with the kids. You say, hey, I was wrong. God, forgive me. It'll get better this afternoon. I kind of like to think of it this way. Uh, it's kind of like when you're trying to teach a child how to walk. Uh, little children uh, have two things in common. They have big heads and big rear ends. Right? Like, across the board, that's the common theme of them. And uh, they have these real wobbly legs and they can't do much. And so, typically... Uh, what a parent will do is they will get these two index fingers and they'll put them out like this and then the kid will grab hold of those and then, you know, you can help the child to actually start walking. And uh, the child's excited and real fun. But if you pull one finger away, right, it's like the head starts wobbling and the rear end starts going everywhere and bam, you know. And I don't know of any good parent, when the kid falls, looks down and goes, You stupid kid! Why can't you learn how to walk? I don't know a good parent like that at all. And you know what? When you fall, your Heavenly Father doesn't do that either. He goes, You fell. Get up. Dust yourself off. Tomorrow, let's try two steps. And the day after that, let's try three steps. And the day after that, let's try four and five. And even if you take a step backward, we're making forward progress. Because eventually, I'm going to teach you how to run. And I will be with you. And that's what grace does. Shame, on the other hand, stay on the floor. Grace picks the person up and says, come on, let's walk together. Now, the second step First, we come clean with God. The second step is we come clean to a trusted friend. We come clean to a trusted friend. James 5.16 says this, Confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be... What's the next word? Healed. So, if you want forgiveness in your life, that comes when you go to God. You go to God and you say, God, I messed up. Will you forgive me? And immediately he says, yes, absolutely, I forgive you. But if you want healing in your life, you got to come clean to somebody else. You know, the great thing about Celebrate Recovery that meets uh, each Thursday at 7 o'clock here at the Y that uh, our church runs is the whole concept that they have within Celebrate Recovery that you have a, a sponsor or accountability partner or a trusted friend. Because this is the thing, folks. You weren't made to walk this road alone. 
You were made to walk this road called life with someone else. I have a friend named Dave who uh, attends Celebrate Recovery every week almost. And for the past 11 years, he's uh, battled depression. And I was talking with him one day and he shared this with me. He said, me and God were not enough. I surrendered to his leadership. But one of the things he was leading me to do was to open up and actually get into a group. And four years ago, I started Celebrate Recovery. And God helped me to overcome the darkness of depression. But it was the people in my group who helped me to heal. And I never thought I could be as happy as I am today. Folks, God wants you to journey this thing called life together. We're all fellow strugglers. No matter how much you put the mask on, folks, we all struggle with stuff. And we're on a grace journey. Now, when you come clean to someone, you don't have to come clean to everybody. You know, that'd be kind of weird, wouldn't it? You start, like you go to work one day and you just come up and say, hey, I'm You know, these are my sins in my life. And you just, like, shared it with everybody. People would be like, oh, man, he is, like, flipping out, you know? No. You don't have to tell everybody. You just have to tell somebody. Well, who should I tell? Well, it needs to be a person of integrity who has uh, a high level of confidence. In other words, they know how to keep things to themselves. You don't want to hire or you don't want to uh, get a trusted friend of someone who is working for the National Enquirer, right? I mean, all of us have friends like that, though, right? Everybody has a friend that, you know, they can't even hold water, right? I mean, like it would, they just can't do it. They're just bad. And, uh, you know, maybe the person's name is Joe. And everybody knows it goes like this. Telegram, telephone, tell Joe. Because once you tell Joe, everybody will know, right? And we all have friends like that. Don't choose that friend, so who do you choose? Well, you choose someone who understands what you're trying to do. Someone who knows God well enough that they can give you some wisdom and some grace and some encouragement. Someone who's not going to point their finger at you and go, you are horrible, or even worse, Oh my gosh, I didn't know you were that bad, you know? You ever have friends like that? Like you go to them and you're like, oh man, this really, you're messed up, you know? Those are not the people that you want to be able to share this kind of stuff with. And let me just say this. If you don't have somebody like that in your life, if you don't have at least one person like that, I would strongly encourage you, celebrate recovery on Thursdays at 7 o'clock. To help the hurts, hang-ups, and habits in your life. You see, Celebrate Recovery is not just about people who struggle with addictions. It's people who are hurting. Like my friend Dave, depression. I talked to a lady this morning. She said, thank you so much for sharing about it. I always thought it was just for people who were strung out on alcohol or drugs. And she goes, I deal with depression and I need some help. And I said, that's where you'll find the help. 
If you're dealing with grief, if you're dealing with the loss of something, any hurt, habit, or hang-up, you can get healing there. Those people are there. It is such a loving environment of people who want to help you grow and to flourish as you learn to get honest. You know, we've been pretty honest in this gymnasium over the past four weeks. I've been honest with you. You've been honest with me. We've been honest about our identity, honest about the unfailing love that God has for us. Because, folks, out of everything else that's in your life, understanding your identity through God's lens is the key. And we've looked at this passage of Scripture in Ephesians chapter 3, verses 17 and 18. Let's read it one more time out loud together. Let's read it out loud. And I pray that Christ will be more and more at home in your hearts as you trust in Him. May your roots go down deep into the soil of God's marvelous love. And may you have the power to understand, as all God's people should, how wide, how long, how high, and how deep His love really is. Now folks, in regards to your past, God has clear things in the Bible, in His Word, that actually tells you what He thinks about your past. I'm just going to kind of do these rapid-fire style, and you can uh, put down the reference if you want. Isaiah 43:25. God says this, I, even I, am He who blots out your transgressions for my own sake and remembers your sins no more. Isaiah 44, verse 20, or Isaiah 44, verse 22. I have swept away your sins like the morning mist. I have scattered your offenses like the clouds. Oh, return to me, for I have paid the price to set you free. Psalm 103, verse 12. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. Hebrews 10:17 I'll forever wipe the slate clean of their sins. And this last one Romans 8 verse 1. Let's read it out loud together. So now there is no condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus. Growing up, uh, I loved this toy. This is not my laptop computer, okay? Uh, but I love this toy. And uh, I really tried to, like, do the, the things that were, you know, on the instructions. Like, you can make a, a, a bear or you can make, like, a rainbow and all that kind of stuff. The only thing I could ever make were the steps. You know what I mean? Like, just make the steps all the way up. That was me. And, uh, you know, I, I was thinking about it this week. That there are times when the Etch-A-Sketch gets so scribbled and so messed up that we don't know what to do. But the cool thing is, is that with an Etch-A-Sketch, if you mess up, all you got to do is... 
shake it and you have a clean slate. Isn't that awesome? Mess something up, don't do it quite right. And I think that when we take our sin and our scars and our scribbles and our mistakes and we come to God and we say, God, I really messed up this time. I mean, I really, really messed things up. But I want to humble myself. I want to surrender to you. I want to give my life to you. And I want to start over again. That when we go to the God of unfailing love and grace. He goes, I've been waiting for this. Here you go. Because my mercies are new every morning. And folks, this is what's true. That when you surrender your life to Christ, that's what happens. He says you're no longer who you were on the etch-a-sketch. I give you a clean slate. You're made new. 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17 says this, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old has gone, the new is here. Today at 3.30, I'm going to sit in my lazy boy chair and I'm going to cheer and celebrate as the Indiana Pacers crush the Miami Heat. Right? Oh, yeah. Jesus, Bunch. I forget them, but hey, yeah, go Pacers. You know what I mean? But I am. And I'll probably yell at my screen multiple times going, beat the heat. You know, beat the heat. Well, earlier this year, you might remember that we had a great player, an all-star player, a guy by the name of Danny Granger. And he was drafted by the Pacers, 17th pick. He spent his entire career there. Guy of high integrity, did a lot of stuff in the community. Good team player. But a few months ago, he was traded to the Los Angeles Clippers. And so he's a Clipper now. And he doesn't wear the blue and the gold anymore. And I was thinking about it this week that I bet it's kind of weird for him. His season's over now. Uh, But I bet it's weird for him to watch the Pacers and to think that that's who I used to be. And he knew everything about Indianapolis, how to get to Banker's Life, how to go the back way, what the best restaurants were, um, you know, where to get his car fixed. But it's different now because the transaction has taken place. And he's no longer an Indiana Pacer, but he's a Los Angeles Clipper. And he's had to learn like a whole new set of plays. And he's had to learn, you know, a different coach, a new city. Where does he go to get things done? And it must be strange for him. But the truth is, folks, that a transaction has happened. A deal was done. And in an instant, he became a Los Angeles Clipper. Now, I was thinking about it. Next year, the Clippers will play the Pacers. And uh, he'll come to Indianapolis. And let's say that 
he had his Clippers uniform on and he runs out onto, you know, the floor. But he decides that he's going to play for the Pacers. Because he feels like a Pacer. He's been with the Pacers a lot longer than he has the Clippers. And it's more comfortable there. And let's say even about that time, his coach comes up to him and says, Hey, Danny, I mean, I know that you really like those guys, and and so why don't you just play with them tonight? No coach is going to do that. No coaches. But I have a feeling that when he comes to Indy again, he'll remember exactly how he used to drive into Banker's life. He'll remember exactly where the team benches and where he would sit and what it all the surroundings were like. I bet if you put a blindfold around him and you got him on the court, he would know exactly where the team bench was and what to do. Now here's the point. Left doing it to ourselves, folks. We can find a way to always go back to our old life. Our old patterns of thinking. Our old sinful habits. It's always so much easier for us to go back into the dark. Because we've experienced that many times. And when that happens... God says to you, but that's not your identity anymore. A transaction has taken place. Your contract has been taken away, ripped up, and nailed to a cross. And now your identity is as a forgiven, much-loved, and accepted child of the Most High God. You are a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. And yet the question remains, well, how do I do that? Well, the key is this, folks. The key to freedom is that you renew your mind daily. You renew your mind daily. Romans 12 says this, Do not conform any longer to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the, what's it say? Renewing. Of your mind. So the question becomes then, how do I renew my mind? Well, you've got to put more positive content in than negative. And the way that you do that, folks, is you take this book and you find a few verses that remind you what your identity is all about. Twelve years ago, I went through a depression in my life in which I'd been medicated. I went through counseling, all kinds of stuff for about a year. And all those things were helpful. But the most helpful thing for me during that time was that once a week, I would take one scripture and I would memorize it. Nothing huge, but just something that I would memorize. And I would put it into my journal I would uh, put it on a card, and I would just go through it through the week. And so some of you drive a lot. I can't think of anything better than writing down something on a card, and when you stop at a stop sign, you just pull it out, and you memorize it. Because what you got to do when you go through life, folks, is you have to be able to tip the scales 
to put more of His words in you than what the world is telling. And as you do this, you get a new identity. Proverbs says this, For as a person thinks in his heart, or her heart, so he or she is. So how do I renew my mind? I fix a daily time, maybe just five minutes. You get away from everything. And you just spend some time with God. Maybe just read one verse. And I'm going to give you a few right now to kind of encourage you with that. Because some of you are like, I don't know where to begin. I, don't, I wouldn't know what to read. I wouldn't know what to memorize. Well, let me go ahead and share with you a few things that will help you to walk more free. Things that can help you to be engaged. The first one is this. How many of you ever in your life have ever said, I can't? Raise your hand, okay? Okay. Everybody put your hand down. If you did not raise your hand and some of you didn't, what do we call those people? Liars. Because you're a liar. Every single one of us at one time have said, I can't. I can't do whatever. But why would we say that when Philippians 4.13 says this, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. Why should you ever be afraid or fear something? Why should I fear? When 2 Timothy 1.7 says, For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power, love, and self-discipline. Why should I ever worry? Why should I get stressed out about stuff? When, when 1 Peter 5.7 says, Give all your worries and your cares to God. Did you see that second word? That's the one that many of us forget. Give how many? Like all of them. Give all of them. To God, for he cares about what happens to you. Why should I ever feel condemned? Romans 8, 1 says, so there is no condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus. And why should I ever feel alone? When God himself gave these words, I will never leave you. I will never abandon you. Folks, many times in our life, we think, that these kind of words are words that define us. Low self-esteem. Fear. Worry. Condemned. Condemnation. Loneliness. And the reality is that you look at those things and you go, that's who I am. I am these things. That's who I am. And again, what God does is he takes an eraser and he erases it off. And the problem is, is that sometimes when you use an eraser for yourself, those words still stay. They don't quite do enough. And so Jesus said, well, I'll go to a cross and I'll die. And what I'll do is I'll actually go ahead and I'll wipe it clean so you'll never have to worry about this. That it's wiped clean, totally clean 
You will not have to worry about any of these things defining you, and you have a new identity. And the new identity is this. God is your friend. He's your friend. He's not only your heavenly Father, the Creator of all things, but He says, I am your friend. I pray that there would be one more scripture that would stick to your heart this week. It's 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Look at what it says. Become friends with God. He's already a friend with you. How you say? In Christ. God put the wrong on him who never did anything. So we could be put right with God. Folks, you find your true identity in a relationship with Jesus Christ. He's your leader. He's your savior. He's your best friend. God is your friend. There was a card in your program when you walked in today. It looks like this. And on one side, it says new identity. And then if you flip it over, there are just these words that say, I believe that Jesus' death on the cross made payment for all of my failures and his resurrection promises me new life. I accept my new identity in And if you didn't get one of these, one of our uh, hospitality people can get it for you. Just raise your hand. And I thought the way that we would close out today is for you to just have a moment in which you and God can just kind of connect together. And if today when you read that, You're like, you know what? I really do believe this. I want this in my life. I surrender to you, God, because I want that kind of identity. You might just write your name and date it. Now, maybe some of you are holding on to this card. And you've been a Christ follower for a long time. But if you were really honest today... You'd say, I've let that relationship, I've let that mirror, I've let success, I've let my past steal my identity away. And today, I want to reclaim the identity that Christ sees in me. So just take a moment right now. You and God, there's a pen there maybe. Listen to him. Listen to the words of this song. And then whatever he asks you to do, do it and do it without delay.
like a hurricane I am a tree Bending beneath The weight of His and mercy And all of a sudden I am unaware of these afflictions eclipsed by glory And I realize just how beautiful you are Great your affections are for me Oh, how He loves us so Pray with you, 
and encourage you along that path to get you kind of connected uh, with uh, a Bible and, and some ways that you can go forward. And so if today's your day, I'd encourage you to come up and, and get some prayer. And if you've accepted Christ already before, I'd encourage you to put this somewhere so that when you go through your day and you mess up, you just go, but that's not my identity anymore. And you receive His forgiveness and His grace and you go forward. And so maybe it's on the refrigerator. Maybe it's in your car. Maybe it's on the mirror in your bathroom. Wherever it is, accept your new identity. Let's pray. God, I thank You for Your Spirit that moves. I thank You for Your love that fills us. God, would You help us to understand today that we really do have a new identity and that each day this week that it doesn't change. That we are new in You and that we can always go to You because You are our friend. God, help us to not get pickpocketed by the past, but help us to go anew with a new identity. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Have a great week. Know that you're loved in this place. If today's your first day, uh, go to Guest Connections. We have a free gift for you. And if you can help with uh, Teardown, uh, please do so.